0: Everything we have to fear is in war. Fear there is no substitute for victory. Let us never negotiate out of fear. We stand undivided, forever united, fighting hand in hand for the liberty we burn, for glory and
1: honor, for our sons and daughters, ever mindful of the lessons we've learned. Let the
0: torch of freedom burn.
2: Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and Politics. This is Wall Builders Live with David Barton and Rick Green. Thank you for joining us today. You're actually joining us in the middle of a four-part series on from Constitution Alive and it's on the presidency. So if you missed the last couple of days, I encourage you to visit wallbuilderslive.com. and just click on the archive section and you can listen to those last two programs. Today we're going to pick up right where we left off yesterday. And just to set the context for you, if you are tuning in for the first time, this is part of Constitution Alive. More information can be found out at constitutionalive.com. But that's the Quick Start Guide to the Constitution that David Barton and I have done for you. It's a chance to walk through the entire Constitution, every article, every amendment, and study the original intent of what the Founding Fathers intended for us with the Constitution and how to properly restore that Constitution. Let's pick up right where we left off yesterday. We've been talking about the presidency on Constitution Alive. Remember what we said about consent of the governed, the only just power of government? comes from us. So if we will talk about the oath, I I think it's a great idea to take the oath of office and give it to a candidate and say I want you to tell me how I'm going to know if you're upholding this oath so that they'll begin to think about it before they even get in there. I think most people that run for office today they want to uphold the oath. They want to do a good job. I I think uh, sometimes we think the worst of everybody just because they're running for office. I get to visit with a lot of people that are in office or running for office and most of them want to do a good job, a lot of times they end up voting that things that, that I would argue are unconstitutional just because they don't know. So we're doing the most important part right now. We're getting educated. Now it's our job to go back and help get them educated and choose leaders that will take that oath seriously. Yes, ma'am. January 3rd, 2011, they, they read the
0: Constitution. They did, on the, yes.
2: Why? It was great. In fact, she's talking about at the opening of the congressional session in 2011 We actually helped um, with making this happen. We were pushing for a little bit more stringent rules um, for the House whenever the the new leadership came into the House. We wanted them to require, and they actually did require, a constitutional provision to be pointed out in every bill that was um, offered in the legislature. You had to say where in the Constitution you had the power as a member of Congress to offer this piece of legislation, uh, which we thought was great and, and I think is a very bold step in the right direction what we wanted, though, was for all those loopholes we talked about last night to be excluded. We, we actually had in, in the drafts that we gave to the Speaker's office, we said you should exclude necessary and proper clause, commerce clause, and general welfare and not let them use those loopholes because, as you know, most of the time when somebody turns in their bill, they're going to have, oh, well, general welfare gives me the power to do this. But it, it, as a part of those new rules that they had adopted, they did the reading of the Constitution from the House floor.
0: This is David Barton with another moment from America's history. Although education has remained an emphasis in America for nearly 200 years, what has changed the most over that period of time is the philosophy of education. For example, while religion finds no place of refuge in our schools today, such was not the case at the time of our founding fathers. In fact, when the Delaware Indian chiefs brought their youths to be trained in America's schools, on June the 12th, 1779, George Washington told them, You do well to wish to learn our arts and our way of life, and above all, the religion of Jesus Christ. These will make you a greater and happier people than you are. Congress will do everything they can to assist you in this wise intention. According to George Washington, what students learned above all in American education at the time of the Founding Fathers was the religion of Jesus Christ. For more information on God's hand in American history, contact Wall Builders at 1-800-8-REBUILD.
2: They did the reading of the Constitution from the House floor, and it was so interesting. At first, a lot of the people that aren't real, you know, pro-Founding Fathers, pro-Constitution were objecting and said, oh, this is just for show. But as soon as they said, we're going to do it, every member of Congress said, I want to be part of that, I want to I read, I want to read, because they knew, we the people, we love our Constitution, we love our Founding Fathers and we, we, we wouldn't have liked it if they just said they didn't want to participate. So it was a very positive thing it started bringing awareness I think to those members of Congress and to the nation that we are governed by that document, that that document is important that every piece of legislation should have to abide by that document and I think it's going to help to, to, to have that rule in there because at least what it does it requires a member to put their provision, you know, point to their provision in the Constitution And then if it's a you know if it's a weak provision like these these loopholes, at least it opens the door for other members of Congress to debate that with them and to raise it. You've got a big, you've got a pretty large constitutional caucus now in Congress that really wants to adhere to that strict constructionist viewpoint. And and they're starting to educate their colleagues. So it's a long process, but that was a huge step in the right direction. I'm glad you raised it, because I think it was a very, very positive thing. Yes, sir. Going back to that national popular vote and the pure democracy. Part It seems as if we went to that, that we would, essence, be a pure democracy Yes. versus the Republican Article 4, Section 4. What, we'd happened, be a lot closer. what happens to Article 4, Section 4? Yeah, it, we'd be a lot closer. Uh, I, I don't think we would be a pure democracy yet because you still have the congressional side of things. Uh, but, but it, 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 yeah, there's not, there's not much left. And no, you know what? Actually, you're probably right because now that we don't choose our senators by, um, through the state legislature... We've gone to that almost pure democracy. Now, pure democracy would be where we would be voting on every issue. We wouldn't even have those representatives. So, in my mind, I I think of it as a sliding scale between democracy and republic. We got rid of election of senators through the legislature. We moved a little bit closer to democracy. You get rid of the Electoral College, you move a lot closer to democracy. So, it's definitely a step in the wrong direction in my book. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask, going back to the oath, so if they go ahead and they vote and they're not following their oath at all, what should take place? The challenge is that because we're so uneducated today in America about what the Constitution is all about and what the oath really stands for and whether or not something they're doing is unconstitutional, they're going to make a, what it sounds like a sound argument to most people that what they're doing is not a violation of their oath. So it's going to be a debate over whether or not they've upheld the Constitution. It's probably a losing debate. So it's, hard, it's better for us to choose people that share your view. You want to vote for someone that shares your view of the Constitution so that their view of the oath is the same as what your view is. Does that make sense? I think they're going to negate uh, our argument that they have violated their oath by not upholding the Constitution, which in some cases it's pretty easy. I mean, we have a lot of politicians today, you've got the sound bites where they say, Constitution, what does that matter? You know, or why should I take the Constitution into consideration on this? So, I mean, that's a pretty obvious one that you ought to be able to say. Well, now you're violating your oath because your oath requires you to uphold the Constitution. But most times, they're not foolish enough to actually say that. They they just take actions that don't reflect that they respect the Constitution. All right, let's jump over to the Twenty Fifth Amendment. So we got two sections out of here that I want to point out. One is the opportunity for the president to say, "I cannot fulfill the duties," and so they pass the torch, if you will, to the vice president and invoke the 25th. They choose, the president chooses to invoke the 25th. That's section 3 of the 25th Amendment. Section 4 is when the vice president and the cabinet invoke the 25th so they have to decide that they think the president is incapacitated, cannot fulfill the duties and they have to vote to do that. Now speaking of section 4 and the, the cabinet and the vice president choosing to do that. Who can tell me when was the first time in in America in the United States that the 25th was invoked under section 4 where the vice president and the cabinet did that? Who might remember when that was? Anybody just guess. Just just throw out names. Let's see if we... Which one? Lincoln. Lincoln. Nope. Wilson. Reagan? Wilson, Reagan, nope. Bush. Bush, no. I was gonna say Bush. You were gonna say Bush too? We got two Bushies. <laughs> well, actually, there's two Bushes, so you could have been the first one. You could have been the second one. Nineteen sixty-three. Sixty-three, so it would have been when Kennedy, Kennedy. was shot. In it. Nope. Reagan. Reagan? No, these are good guesses, though.
1: <laughs>
2: okay, I'm just gonna give it to you. It's actually President David Palmer in season two of 24. That was the uh, that was the first time. And and you remember what happened. See, the, the, the vice president didn't like what he was doing, and so he got half the cabinet to vote with him. Then there was a big debate over whether one of the members of the cabinet had already resigned, and that changed the vote because it was such it was a great episode. all right. But it, you know why it was so great? Because it educated us on the 25th Amendment. They did a great job of actually doing it right. They actually got the 25th Amendment out. They read it on the show. It was fantastic. But it did happen again, actually. It happened in uh, Season 4 with President (laughs) Logan. That was the next time. And President Logan, man, I mean, the slimiest president in American history, I'm telling you. If you watch 24 at all, this guy was awful. So it gets invoked in in Season 4. And then again in Season 6, the third time when uh, Wayne Palmer was President of the United States and the thing blew up next to his uh, podium and he got injured and they invoked the... Twi- anyway so all those were the three times that it was invoked. And, uh, Air Force uh, One. Uh, say that again? Air oh Force in the movie one. Air Force One. That's another good one. That's right. Forgot about that one. Okay so here in the real world it's never happened. So it, it, it hasn't ha- It came close. Now when Reagan, and y'all, y'all guessed Reagan, that was the closest we ever came. It was, uh, it was Bush, uh, George H.W. Uh, he was actually on his way back to D.C. So Reagan got shot. This was 81. He gets shot. He's already in surgery. Bush is on his way to Texas. They get word to him. They turn the plane around. They head back to D.C. When he lands in D.C., uh, they tell him Reagan's only going to be out for another hour, only under anesthesia for another hour. I thought Bush did a very statesmanlike thing. He had a big press conference. He said, we are not invoking the 25th. The president's going to be fine. America's going to be fine. He calmed everybody down. Calmed America down. Calmed the reporters down. Calmed the world down. Calmed the chaos back in the, in the uh, situation room down. We won't get into all that. But it, fortunately, the 25th was not invoked. He certainly could have. It would have been a legitimate time to do it. But I think he, I think he was wise in making the decision that he made and it, it just kept everybody cool and, and didn't do it. So let's talk about Section 3, though. Section 3 is when the president invokes the 25th Amendment and says, I'm incapacitator, I'm going to be incapacitated, can't fulfill the job. Who can tell me the first time that happened in U.S. history? Come on, just guess. Clinton? Just have fun. Clinton. No. No. You went to surgery. Dave. In the movie Dave? That's a good guess. You're the first person that's ever, that's excellent. That's actually true. Yes. Very good. See, now I was thinking actually of, of, of President Bartlett. Because it was President Bartlett and West Wing in the fifth season that he actually had to hand it over. He had to invoke the 25th. You know what was cool about this episode? You had a Democrat president and a Republican speaker and no vice president. The vice president had resigned. So the Democrat president had to hand the reins over to a Republican Speaker of the House who was going to give up his speakership to take over the reins for just, you remember what happened was his daughter was kidnapped by radical Islamic terrorists, and he, President Bartlett was ready to blow up the entire Middle East, and he said, I can't do this, I've got to step aside. And so this Republican, you know, John Goodman played the, uh, played the Speaker, and, and um, oh, I'm forgetting his name, um, uh, Jed Bartlett, you know, you see his picture there. What's his name? Sheen. What's his first name? Charles. No, it's the dad. Martin, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Martin Sheen. We don't get the presidents right, but we know who Martin Sheen is. My <laughs> golly. Okay. So so Martin Sheen uh, is the uh, is the president. He hands the reins over to John Goodman, and John Goodman takes it, gets the job done, and hands it back. I just thought it was a great, again, a statesman-like episode. Sometimes Hollywood gets it right and they really, I thought Aaron Sorkin and those guys did a great job on West Wing in in teaching us about the 25th. Almost as good as the 24 producers did. So I like to use Hollywood because it's a good example but this actually did happen in America. Three times we've had the 25th amendment invoked and it was all in the last... Bush 1. Bush 1 was not one of them but close. Reagan was first and he went under for two hours, had a colonoscopy, invoked the 25th for those two hours and then Bush 43 actually twice had colonoscopies and invoked the 25th. So for about two hours each time Darth Vader was president of the United States. Imagine that. (laughs) And I like Dick Cheney and I like Darth Vader. So you know if Dick Cheney had just kind of breathed like Darth Vader once in a while it would have been even better. But I just think that's interesting in the 25th Amendment so that's that's kind of how it works.
0: let the torch of freedom burn.
2: Uh, Those were were great examples of of how our system is designed so well that no one person is gonna, you know, our our government's not gonna fall apart if one person is assassinated or if one person is, you know, dies or is taken out Our system is very well designed to not allow that to to destroy the nation. All right, let's jump forward. We're going to jump into Article 2, Section 2, Paragraph 4, dealing with recess appointments. This is one a lot of people have been asking about, not just with President Obama, but with President Bush, really for a long time. uh, Both parties have used recess appointments and I think abused them, both parties. they, They do it too often. The concept for the Founding Fathers was very different than what we do today. Page 26, right in the middle of the page. the president shall have power to fill up all vacancies that may happen during the recess of the Senate. All right, now let's think about that for a second, because a recess when these guys were in charge was not a weekend pass. They weren't just flying home for the weekend and coming back. A recess for these guys was a long time. Think about the travel, uh, that, that, what it was like for them back then. In fact, even the whole concept of how much time you spent in Washington, D.C., was very different for them than it is for us. In fact, I love... Article 1, Section 4 on page 8. Article 1, Section 4, Paragraph 2. I love this. The Congress shall assemble at least once in every year. (laughs) We're lucky to get them (laughs) to come home for once every year, right? Totally different back then. These guys said, hey, we're going to go to D.C., get our business done, and come back home. They didn't want to live in D.C. They didn't want to be there all the time. So you might have had in a two-year Congress, these guys coming home for 10, 12 months at a time. So that's a long recess. You can imagine that if a critical position, if that person dies or resigns or whatever, you need that, that relief valve, the power in the executive branch to fill that vacancy for that long recess. That makes perfect sense. I think these guys were entirely correct in putting that, that in our Constitution. But today what do we do? Man, Congress goes home for the weekend and we make recess appointments on the week. And you know what's really bad? Again, both parties doing it. A lot of times they'll take somebody they've appointed that the Congress is refusing to, that the Senate's refusing to approve. So that, that you got a languishing appointment sitting there. Senate goes home, and the president goes, "Oh, while they're gone home, I'm going to push this guy through." That's not what these guys had in mind for a recess appointment. It was designed to take care of an emergency situation, not to sneak through an appointment that you couldn't actually get the advice and consent of from the Senate. So it's a real problem. Again, abused by both sides. I think we just got it. Even when it's, if it's your guy, if you're, you know, a guy or gal as president, somebody you supported and you like in the White House, and you like the appointment that's languishing in the Senate, you should still be willing to say, I don't support that recess appointment because it violates the process. The process has got to again become important to us. It's not good for us to abuse the process just because we're getting the end that we want. The end does not justify the means. That's not the right way to play this game and and, and govern a country. So recess appointments, real problem. Yes, sir.
0: I'm sure you're aware that the uh, Congress just passed uh, a a law that eliminated about 160 ratification processes by the Senate. So, in other words, the president can appoint these people without ratification. Have you heard about that? I did
2: not. No, I'm it's not aware. A, it's about 160 different
0: appointments. So that passed the
2: House and the Senate is done, uh, or it's just it's well, working? I think
0: I think it. I'm not sure, but yeah. it, but it's in effect. I don't know if it was. Uh, a resolution maybe yeah. is all it takes.
2: You know, in my opinion, headed the wrong direction. I mean, let, let, let's look at there's a proper there's a proper place for appointments that don't require approval. I mean, let, let's take a look at that. We were we were on page twenty six. If you if you jump up a little bit more on that on that page uh, right above there, so it talks about the uh, advice and consent in the second paragraph. So he's, he has the power, by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, to make treaties, provided two thirds of the Senators present concur, and he shall nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint and then he goes through the long list of folks that he appoints. But then the next paragraph says but the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper in the president alone in the courts of law or the heads of of departments. So that's a proper constitutional function for the Congress to pass that law but the more we do that the more we're empowering the executive to go run all of these agencies with less and less accountability back to the Congress. And so in my opinion that's going the wrong direction. We have that separation of powers and those checks and balances for a reason. And, and I, I don't want the president to have any more power in terms of appointing folks that don't have to get some advice and consent. But then again, you know, they may, these may be some low-level positions that they've decided, Congress has decided it takes too long to to go through the process. I just, based on theory, I'm with you. I think that's a, that's a bad idea. But, but they do have, you know, the president does that, you know, a lot of people ask me, what about these czars? Does he have the right to appoint these czars? I mean, it seems like we got more czars than the Soviet Union ever had at this point. Um, he does actually have the power to make some of these appointments that are within an agency that was created by law. So Congress creates an agency, and then the president has to go enforce and execute the law. And so if there's appointments within that that don't require Senate approval, he can do that. He can call them czars or whatever. But if Congress doesn't like what he's doing, they can rein him back in by defunding that position or passing a law that says you can't have an unappointed position in that way. So it's kind of a give and take back and forth. We've got to remember that that's what the checks and balances are all about. What our challenge today is that most often the executive branch and the legislative branch are not willing to take on the other branches. Everybody just seems to lay down. Because they're afraid of the fight, it'll look bad in the media and all that kind of stuff. And, it, and what happens is we lose in the long run. The Constitution loses because either the President loses a, a, a legitimate power because the courts pushed it, you know, pushed on him or the, or the Congress loses a legitimate power because the courts pushed on them or the President pushed on them. It's real important any time a branch is encroached upon by another branch, we'll see a quote a little later by Hamilton on this, for the, the branch that's being encroached upon to push back. To, to protect their authority, their constitutional authority. It's, it's a duty on their part, not, not for the person that's in the position but for the office itself so that the Constitution continues to work the way that these guys designed it to work. So that appointment process is, is a big part of that and having the Senate uh, be, a, be a piece of that puzzle. So the, 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 the uh, recess appointments is, is, um, is a big question today. I did want to point out though that we, that we did have the President made a lot of recess appointments recently when the senate said that they were not in recess and that the house said the senate was not in recess have you ever wanted to learn more about the united states constitution but just felt like man the classes are boring or it's just that old language from 200 years ago, or I don't know where to start. People want to know, but it gets frustrating because you don't know where to look for truth about the Constitution either. Well, we've got a special program for you available now called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green. And it's actually a teaching done on the Constitution at Independence Hall in the very room where the Constitution was framed. We take you both to Philadelphia, the Cradle of Liberty and in Independence Hall, and to the Wall Builders Library, where David Barton brings the history to life to teach the original intent of our Founding Fathers. We call it the Quick Start Guide to the Constitution because in just a few hours through these videos, you will learn the Citizen's Guide to America's Constitution. You'll learn what you need to do To help save our constitutional republic, it's fun, it's entertaining, and it's going to inspire you to do your part to preserve freedom for future generations. It's called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green. You can find out more information on our website now at wallbuilders.com. There was a great article. Ed Meese from Heritage Foundation, former attorney general, did a great article on this. And he pointed out something that I had actually forgotten about. He said, you know, for the president to make these appointments, you remember what happened? The Senate was, was gone. Like every, for every three days they had something that would, a process that would kick in so that they were not in recess. They were purposely not wanting to be in recess because they didn't want any appointments to take place. And the president appointed a bunch of folks. And it was the Labor Relations Board and, and I, I think some judges. I forgot who all got appointed. But there's, there's actually a provision here that Ed Meese pointed out that I had completely forgotten about, and it's back on page 10. It's in Article 1, Section 5 on page 10, right towards the top, third paragraph from the top. It says, Neither house during the session of Congress shall, without the consent of the other, adjourn for more than three days, nor to any other place than that in which the two houses shall be sitting. And he pointed out that the House had not given permission for the Senate to adjourn, to recess for that amount of time. So he, he had a bunch of other stuff in the article as well that backed up the fact that these were unconstitutional recess appointments than any of the others. But the point is, recess means something. A recess appointment was a specific idea, an important idea that these guys put in place. And we don't want to lose it. We want the president to have that power. The more a president abuses that power, the more likely Congress is going to sooner or later, or we the people are going to take it away. So it's just a bad deal. The way we fix it is for we, for we the people to get educated, start electing leaders that will actually follow that. Executive Orders is also one that's been raised a lot lately. Uh, the idea of Executive Orders, that's not actually a provision specific in the Constitution that says that the President has the power to, uh, to execute orders, but where it comes from is Article 2, Section 3, Paragraph 3, and that's going to be page 26 and 27 in your book, and it's this phrase, He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And so over time, beginning with Washington, uh, you started having executive orders from the president to make sure that the laws were faithfully executed. That's all the time we have for today, folks. That was part three out of a four-part series from Constitution Live this week that we're sharing with you. Yesterday and the day before, we had uh, part one and part two. Today, part three. Tomorrow, we'll get the conclusion. Now, if you happen to tune in... In the middle of today's program, what you've been listening to, uh, our program is called Wall Builders Live with David Barton and Rick Green, but what you've been listening to today is Constitution Alive. Uh, This is our chance to share with you the principles of the Constitution and walk through every article and every amendment and give you a chance to get sort of a crash course in those founding principles and then apply them and be part of restoring our constitutional republic. So what we've been sharing this week is Section 6 out of Constitution Alive. It's the part of Constitutional Live that deals with the presidency. And tomorrow we will get the conclusion. So don't miss tomorrow if you want to get those first two parts and today and share them with your friends and family. Go do that right now by grabbing those links at wallbuilderslive.com. You've been listening to Wall Builders Live with David Barton and Rick Green.